So, but you're here this morning and I'm not letting you out early. So Mark chapter three, let's look at the book. As you're opening Mark three, I want you to think about that person in your family that embarrasses you. If it's the person next to you right now, I want you to kind of do this number. Just so we all know. Everybody has somebody in the family that embarrasses them. If you can't think of anyone, you are that person for your family. You know, it's interesting. Jesus was that person for his family. Mark chapter 3, verse 31. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around them, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. I want you to write everything down this morning that you see on the screens. The first thing, Jesus says there is an inside and an outside. Jesus says there is an inside and an outside. He makes it clear you are either in his family or you are not in his family. When we think about the family tree of Jesus at the top, Mary and Joseph. You'll notice on the screen behind me that there's just a line between Mary and Jesus because of the Christmas story. We're getting ready to celebrate that. Some of you have already started celebrating. You have your Christmas tree up. You haven't gone to Facebook yet because you don't want to deal with all the fallout of celebrating before Thanksgiving because there are the Thanksgiving warriors uh, who sanctify that day and set it apart. It's just a meal. It's a meal in which everyone comes over and we feel fat. That's all that Thanksgiving is. It is a speed bump on the way to Christmas. You know this. I know this, but the people on Facebook don't. So you have your Christmas tree on right now, but you've not gone public with it yet. And what are we celebrating at Christmas? We're celebrating that Mary and Joseph were engaged, and they were keeping it above the level. They were keeping it pure, keeping it 100, and yet she ends up pregnant because the Holy, the Holy Spirit overshadows her, according to the word of God, from an angel, because she is going to give birth to the Savior of the world into the world and Jesus is born. So there's just one line between Mary and Jesus because God is his father. But then they went on to have more children. We know this from Matthew chapter 13. James, Joseph, Simon, Judas. These are the brother of, brothers of Jesus. This is a different Judas than Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. And then he had sisters. We don't have them by name. But he did have sisters. And in this culture, in the first century, in the middle of Palestine, family was everything. You may say, well, family's everything to me, but not to the level that it would have been to this family. They were a family-centric culture. God instituted the family, and they took it seriously. So what Jesus is saying this day in that house, as he's surrounded by that group of people saying, who are my mother and who are my brothers, that was blasphemy to their family-centric culture. And he wouldn't have gotten away with it had he not been God's son. There is an inside and there is an outside. Jesus tells us that. But that doesn't feel very good, does it? In fact, even theologians, some theologians have said, you know, well, maybe that's not even true. Maybe there's not really an inside and outside. And they developed this thing called universalism. 
Universalism refers to the position that eventually all human beings will be saved and will enjoy everlasting life with Christ. Maybe you've driven by a universalist church where essentially they say if you follow Jesus right now with your life, you ask him to forgive you of your sin, you're going to end up with him in everlasting life. But even if you don't, even if you say, I don't believe in God, you still end up with Christ and everlasting life. Even if you say, well, I do believe in God, but I'm not sure it's Jesus. Maybe it's these other ways. They would believe that you end up with Christ in everlasting life. And that is a beautiful and warm thing to say. The problem is that Jesus disagrees with it. See, we don't mind an inside-outside thing as long as we're the ones on the inside, do we? We took our family to the Texas A&M game yesterday. Yeah, that's, that's weak. That is weak, honestly. It's weak. You need to uh, take down your flags outside your house. I didn't go to A&M, but Amanda did. and I didn't have the privilege, as she says. But as soon as you step foot on that campus, you know whether you are on the inside or on the outside, don't you? Right? You know because they got all these traditions. Right? They got all their signals. They got them. And they're awesome. They're so great. But you know what that is or you don't know what that is. You know the songs or you don't know the songs. You know the yells or you don't know the yells. You know the, the many traditions. They don't even know where the traditions come from. They even invented kind of a term for the fact that they don't know where the traditions come from, just accept the traditions. And you know immediately if you're on the inside or outside of that great institution. And if you're on the inside, not one time has an Aggie ever cared about those of us who are on the outside. Not one time. Not every time have they had a lot of sympathy for us. They haven't, right? They haven't. And it's, we all feel that way if we're on the inside. We only care about an inside-outside thing if we happen to be on the outside. Because we don't like the way that that feels. But Jesus says there is an inside and outside. Turn a few pages to the left to Matthew chapter 25. Listen to his teaching here. Verse 31. When the Son of Man, that's him speaking of himself, comes in his glory and all the angels with him... Then he will sit on his glorious throne, and before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. So Jesus says there's a future day coming when he will sit on his glorious throne, and he will say there are some on the inside, the sheep on the right, and there are some on the outside, the goats on the left. Now, the reason that we don't like inside-outside thing when we're on the outside is because it feels arbitrary how we ended up on the outside. Based on questions like, who are you? Where are you from? What do you have? What can you do? Those are the questions that usually determine if we're on the inside of something or we're on the outside of something. And it's usually, in my, our minds, an unjust, arbitrary judge deciding whether those questions are answered properly that determine whether we're in a thing or we're out on a thing. But what we see here is we see Jesus, the just judge, doing the separating. 
fact, he told this parable, if you remember, about a poor man named Lazarus who was very sick, and he would uh, stand outside the gate of a rich man and essentially beg for food. And, and the rich man passes away. If you remember Jesus' story, the rich man ends up in the place of punishment, and he's able to speak out of it, and he asks for help, but he doesn't ask for help for himself. He asks that help would be sent to his brothers so that they don't end up where he has ended up, which uh, strikes me as interesting because he doesn't advocate for himself. He doesn't say from that place of punishment, hey, this isn't fair. How did I end up here? I was a good person. You know, I I don't really deserve deserve this. His only advocation came for those that he loved that they might not end up where he ended up. Because when we think about Jesus as the judge saying to the right or to the left, when we have all the information that he has, when we can see all the things that he can see, we will know that we have been treated fairly. And you think about when we are being judged here in an arbitrary way by people deciding if we're inside or outside. They're usually doing it uh, in secret conversations and in secret text messages saying, hey, don't tell anybody, but blah, 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 blah. That's how it's usually handled, but not with Jesus. He does it in the presence of all of the nations. He gathers the whole world together and judges in that moment. And not one of us will be able to say, hey, I don't think that you are being fair. But he does say there's an inside and there's an outside. But it's not an arbitrary list of standards that determines whether we go to the right or go to the left. Whether we're in the family or not in the family. It's not four questions. It's one question. Are you connected to Jesus? That's all you have to ask yourself today. Am I connected to Jesus? Have I offered him my life? Have I asked him to forgive me of my sin? Have I made him Lord? Am I connected to him? Because if you are related to him, then you are in the family of God. He says there's an inside and an outside. Number two, Jesus says his family is open to whoever. His family is open to whoever. Back in Mark chapter 3, verse 33. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. For whoever. Say that with me. For whoever. Whoever. His family is open to whoever. As we read the Gospels in the New Testament, we see Jesus uniting all kinds of people. We see him uniting political zealots, with the religious, with the tax collectors, the poor and the rich, intellectuals, with those who are simple. We see the very first time a sermon is preached in Jesus' name, it is done to people from all over the known world. In Acts chapter 2, all kinds of races. He unites the single and the married sinners, the homeless, the righteous. He brings us all together but we like to congregate separately. And you know this is true. You, you know that we like to group up with people who experience and see the world the same way that we do. 
I mean, even let's just use one topic, politics. We could not talk about it this morning. Even though all of us are filled with the Spirit right now, we've been singing and we've got the Word open and we've taken communion together, I could say a couple of names, drop them in the middle of the room, and not one of us would leave happy today. (laughs) Not one of us. And you'd be mad at the person next to you because their view was a little bit different than your view or they valued this one thing higher than you valued it and you valued this other thing and you didn't understand why they didn't value this thing as much as uh, you did and you can't see it and then you go to the Bible and it's like, but it's in the Bible and then we're all arguing. It would be a disaster even if we just had to just talk about even one simple idea today. So when we were experiencing this election, what did we all do? Did we open up the newspaper and our Twitter feed to all kinds of people who had all kinds of views speaking about all these different things from different angles? No. You got annoyed with that family member or that friend or that coworker who kept tweeting out or Facebooking an idea that was different to you and you went, eh, unfollow until the election is over. Because it just got under your skin. It bothered you. It, didn't, it bothered you why they didn't talk about that other thing. They're only looking at it from this one angle and not this other angle. And so what happens is we end up just grouping together with people who experience the world the same as us, see the world the same as us, essentially come from the same background that we've come from, and yet we collide into this story today where Jesus says, no, whoever, whoever is willing to do the will of God, they are in my family. I mean, it just doesn't make sense, does it? It doesn't make sense. If we're all in a family together, it doesn't make sense to avoid siblings. I was trying to think about my sister and I. She's a few years younger than me. If there was ever a moment in our lives where we really tried to avoid one another, it happens, but it, it, it's not right. You know, you maybe not talk to your brother in a few years, and it happens, and there are reasons it happens, but it's not ideal. I think we would all agree with that. And so I was thinking, was there ever a, a season in our lives where I tried to avoid her? And we only shared one year of high school together. I was a senior, and she was a freshman. I'm sitting in a coffee, sh- coffee shop on Friday thinking about all this, and I was thinking, I don't think, I don't think so. I don't think I tried to avoid her, and she didn't try to avoid me. So then I kind of started rewinding the clock, and I thought about, well, what about when she was in middle school and I was in high school, and horror came over me in that moment because. When I was in high school, I was a part of this group, uh, and we would teach this curriculum at the middle school. So once a week for a season of high school, my junior year of high school, I would go over to the middle school where she attended, and we would teach about this one topic. I don't know if you have little little ears in there, but you might want to close them for just a second. It was called PSI. That was the curriculum, Postponing Sexual Involvement. Essentially, I and some of my friends, we would go to the middle school, and we would have the sex talk with the middle schoolers. And so I'm sitting in the coffee shop remembering this, thinking my my sister was in middle school and I would come and do this. Oh my gosh, what if I gave my sister the sex talk on accident and I can't remember it? Have I blocked it out? Have I voided that part of my brain because it was so painful? So I pick up my phone and I text her, uh, did I ever come to your class and do the PSI thing? And I'm, I'm praying, please God, please say because I can't look her in the eye. If, if I in fact did this, like I will not, well, I'll go home for Christmas and I won't be able to look at her in the face. And we're on iPhones, and so I see the dot, dot, dot. I'm praying, God, please. Yes. And so I come back with, I am so 
horrified. I am mortified. I am any kind of fied. I am embarrassed. I am sorry. I didn't. And she graciously responded that she didn't end up too badly scarred and everything worked out. So, I mean, if there was ever an excuse to avoid one of your siblings, it would be that, I think, right? But we think of excuses too. We can think of excuses why we don't congregate and have friends that don't look like us or come from a different backgrounds. I mean, we, we, we find all kinds of different excuses, but it's dangerous. It's dangerous because you can't start ranking the branches of God's family tree. You can't start saying, well, hey, my branch is big and strong and it's got a lot of history and it's the, I mean, I don't want to say it's the most important branch, but it is a really essential branch and those branches over there, I mean, it'd be, it's fine that they're over there, but it's a little bit, you know, it's not as essential as my branch and, and branch and what Jesus says is, no, it's it's whoever, it is is whoever. And here's the thing, folks. We need to welcome whoever Jesus is welcoming. If he has held the door open to somebody, we should not dare close it. I am convinced in my heart, I believe it, it is from God that our church and churches like ours, is if we do not reflect the diversity of Houston, Texas five years from now, our best days will be behind us. If you can't come to Bayou City Fellowship and it looked like the Memorial Mall, Memorial City Mall, and the Willowbrook Mall, and the Gallery Mall, and the place that you go eat, if, if our church does not look like those places, we will have no credibility in this city. And so you and I, whatever it is that we are doing to close the door, we need to stop. And it may be just taking an inward look to go, I probably don't mean to be closing doors to people that God opens them to. But if I do, God, I need you to show me and I need the bravery to follow through. Because Jesus says, whoever, whoever is willing to what? To do the will of God. So number three, Jesus says, obedience is the proof. Obedience is the proof. Verse 35 And looking about those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Now we know from his teachings in other places and from the rest of the New Testament, it's not our obedience that gives us access to the family of God. That happens when we are born again. You are born again into God's family and you, ex- you have access to that through faith and faith alone. But our obedience is the proof. So how do I know if I am in the family of God? There'll be follow through. If you have faith, there will be follow through. This is the same thing Jesus says back in Matthew chapter 25 where we looked earlier. Look at his, look at how he knows who's on the right and who's on the left. Verse 34, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did you see a stranger and welcome you and naked and clothe you? 
When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So Jesus says, here's how I know who goes to the right and goes to the left. It's with the follow through. If you serve the least of these, you were serving me, you go to the right. And then later he goes on to the group on the left, the goats on the left. You didn't serve me by serving the least of these, my brothers. Obedience is the proof. Now you may say, well, hey, I'm at church on Sunday. You're preaching to the choir. It is a beautiful day. It is a football Sunday. It's the Sunday before Thanksgiving. Vacation is happening. And here I am sitting in church listening to you. That is follow through. And it, it is. It can be. But it might not be. I tell my kids to say yes, sir, and yes, ma'am to people. But they can say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do that. And then go to school. And everyone around them in their class is saying, yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. And then they get on board at that point. But just because they're doing what I want them to do is not the same as obedience to their parents. When it came from their parents, they could have rejected it. But because of pressure, they accepted it. And obedience to God and obedience to pressure are not the same thing. Some of us are here today because somebody put pressure on you. And she has a beautiful long head of hair. (laughs) And you've loved for quite some time. And she threatened you before she got in the car this morning and said, if you want me to come home to this address, you will go to this address on Telgi Drive today. There's a way to read the scriptures without it being obedience to God. Maybe you signed up for a group and inside that group, everybody reads the Bible and you think, well, I better read it because I don't want to be the only one there that did it. You may be doing some good work out in the community that is not for obedience to God, but because it just seems like what a good person would do, and those things are not the same. How do I know if I'm in the family of God? How do I know if that I have real and genuine faith? There will be real and genuine follow-through. So if you look at your life today and you think, man, I don't, I don't know that I have any follow-through. I don't know that I have a lot of obedience in my life. The answer is not to add a bunch more things to do. It's to go back to the beginning and ask the same question. Am I connected to Jesus? Because if you are connected to Jesus, there will be obedience. Because obedience is the proof. So we're sitting in a living room with Jesus and it just got awkward, didn't it? I mean, just imagine, imagine some of your moms and dads you pull up to one of your kid's friend's house and you want to see your kid inside there and you go and knock on the door and they say, who are my mother and my father? You'd be like, I'm getting ready to show you who your mom and dad is once you get out here. Some of you grew up with some stern disciplinarians as moms and dads. Imagine them asking you to come over and you say, no, I don't even, this guy over here, Ed, Ed is the same as you. Mom, 
head is the same. It wouldn't go well. And, and this is what Jesus does, and it's gotten awkward. And he keeps on teaching, and his ministry continues, and it has highs and lows, and sometimes those crowds are big, and sometimes those crowds are small. And he caps off his ministry with the ultimate cap, which is to offer up his sinless life on Golgotha, the place of the skull, on a hill outside of Jerusalem, on one side of a garbage dump. Why? So that you and I can have forgiveness of sins. And he died. You, you remember that he died. And two rich men came down and uh, took his body off the cross. And one of those rich men, rich men had more resources than he really needed and he offered up his tomb that he had never been used and they placed Jesus' body in there. And by the power of God, three days later, he was resurrected and he appeared to many witnesses. And then he ascended into heaven and it says as he's ascending, verse nine of Acts chapter one, and when he had said these things, they were looking on, he was lifted up And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying and here's who was in that upper room. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, Simon, and Judas, the son of James. And all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. The reason it was awkward in that living room that day is because his brothers and his mom were skeptics. But they followed Jesus long enough to move from skeptic to believer. There may be more than one of us in here this morning, and you are a skeptic. You say, I'm skeptical about the Bible, and I'm skeptical about faith. I'm skeptical about it all. I wonder if you could just hang in there long enough to see God maybe transition you from skeptic to believer. I'm guessing a bunch of us this morning were like, hey, I'm an insider. I'm an insider. I've been doing this church thing for a long time. I believed in Jesus for a long time. I'm an insider. I'm not a skeptic. Listen, I can't speak for you. I can only speak for me. But there are lots of outrageous things that Jesus says that I think, maybe you should keep that quiet. I mean, I believe in general, but maybe you believe in general, but you're skeptical that God forgive, could forgive you for real because you brought a pretty long list of sins today. And you believe all of it, but you're skeptical about forgiveness. Could you transition from skeptic to believer? Some of us today have been abandoned and we've had friends turn our backs on us and let us down. And You're a believer in general, but you're skeptical that God is really with you, really cares about you, it's close to you. Could you move from skeptic to believer today? 
Some of you are sick and it's been a long road of diagnosis and you've tried all kinds of medicines and you believe in general, but you're skeptical about the part that God could be a healer for you. Wonder if you could just hang in there long enough to maybe see him transition you from skeptic to believer. Just because we're on the inside today doesn't mean that there aren't a room full of skeptics. But what do we learn? We learn that Jesus says there is an inside and an outside. We learn that he says his family is open to whoever. And we learn that Jesus says obedience is the proof. Let's pray together. The most important part of this sermon is that Jesus says. And he said, John chapter 10, about you, an insider, sheep, that his sheep know his voice and he knows his sheep's name. So two things you can be confident of today, that he knows your name, he knows your story, he knows where you've come from, where you're going, he knows the highs and the lows. And you can hear his voice. So I just wonder if you would take a second to just ask him to speak to you directly. Jesus, what is my next step of obedience? Just take a second and ask that in your own words. Help us be more than listeners today. Help us be men and women of action. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand to your feet? If you're a guest with us this morning, we finish all of our services at Bayou City with a time of ministry and prayer. Our prayer team's gonna come forward and take their services up here in the front even while I'm speaking. And we do that because Jesus says, and Jesus said that God's house is a house of prayer. He's also said that when we pray together, there is an anointing and a result there that is not available to us when we just pray on our own. So I want to invite you to come and pray. I first want to invite you to come forward if today you would say, you know, I'm not sure that I have confidence that I'm actually in the family of God, that I have the family of God DNA inside of me. I'm not sure then you come forward and you just say that. I just say, I'm not sure that I'm in the family. And these folks that are up here to pray, uh, they can relate to you because there was a moment in their life when they weren't sure either. And they can pray with you today and you can leave with confidence according to the word of God that you've been born again. And you can become a son or a daughter of God. A second, the second thing I want to invite you forward to pray for is if, if when we talk about prayer, God immediately brings somebody to your mind, just immediately into your heart or mind. You come and pray for them. They may never know that you prayed, but your prayer today could have drastic effect in their life. You come and pray for them. And the third thing that I want to invite you to come and pray for, if you just have a burden today, just got a heaviness, maybe you can't even put words to it. You don't even exactly know what it is or why it's there. God sometimes gives us those burdens for the purpose of prayer. You come forward and pray. You just say, I don't even know what to pray for you'll be prayed for. I believe at the end, when you leave today, you will know the reason that God's put that burden on your heart. I especially want to invite you to come if you would be like me this morning and say, uh, you know, I'm not really a come forward for prayer kind of person. I'm more of a hang out in the back and hope it works out kind of person. And if that's you today, but God stirs your heart, I want you to come and pray. I believe that you'll be glad that you did. So God, we 
bring our prayers together. We agree with one another. We ask that your will would be done in our lives. We ask maybe most of all that your presence would be made known in our lives as we pray. So we ask these things in Jesus' name.